All right, this is episode number 12 of the Bearded Marketers, the only internet marketing podcast. That matters. I'm Rob. (laughs) And I'm Corey. And tonight I am drinking a spicy margarita. Oh, si, senor. (laughs) Uh, And I am actually returning back to the sidecar, which I was actually drinking last episode. New drink. New Next drink. episode, for sure. Yes, we need we need some recipes tweeted to us, please, please. But I, I am happy to report that Rob is not drinking a glowing concoction of toxic <laughs> chemicals like he was last week. It was a little <laughs> scary sitting next to him. I won't lie, but uh. the fumes were getting to you. Um, we got some good topics for tonight. Uh, I think we're going to start off uh, obviously following our principles last week. This started on principle number two tonight. What's that guy's name again? Uh, Robert. You always make me say it. Robert Cialdini. I'm going to go right. with. Cialdini. Um, we'll go with that. Principle number two tonight, commitment and consistency. We're going to follow that up with um, some studies from Nielsen Group uh, that sort of point to using facts in your marketing language over marketing jargon, I guess is a way to put it. Yeah, and we started kind of talking about the conversation, I think it was last week or maybe the week before, we were discussing um, pretty versus ugly and kind of getting the the discussion going about design. So I kind of wanted to continue that maybe in a new light but designing for your audience and your target market and then kind of wrapping it up something that we all hate doing is trying to avoid the customer letdown Mm. whether we know it or not and we're gonna have a funny anecdotal story about that so we got a few i think (laughs) for sure um so anyways let's kind of kick it off here so last week we started kind of a a six-week segment that we're going to be continuing on cialdini a great um, resource to look at if you're kind of new into marketing or want to learn more about it. He is uh, one of the kind of pioneers in really looking at the psychology into marketing and understanding consumer behavior and what really drives it. Um, and I would highly recommend some of his work. So the principle that we're going to be talking about this week um, from him is commitment over consistency. And really what we kind of want to talk about uh, in this episode really is what what do we take away from these kind of tried and true principles um, that we can actually use um, as people that run e-commerce or legion sites and things like that. So basically as we boil down uh, commitment versus commitment and consistency, Rob, I think you had a kind of a good succinct way to kind of talk about what what does what does that actually mean when Chaldini is talking about that yes yeah, so, I mean I guess there's a few ways you could look at this in terms of commitment and consistency and obviously it's going to depend on your business but I guess maybe one of the easier ways to look at it is with lead gen and, and long sales processes it's getting people committed to your brand um, it's getting people to make minor uh, sort of decisions for your brand along a process be it interacting with you, uh, watching videos, downloading content, um, submitting things to you, mm-hmm. um, getting people involved and committed to your brand um, and sort of seeing themselves as customers and continuing along the process to whatever it is that that ultimate goal may be. I think you have a better sort of real world example in terms right. of what that might mean. Sure. I mean, like, I guess we could kind of look at it when you're going to kind of buy a car. And I think what Cialdini was kind of getting at with his point here and consistency with his with commitment is really understanding that once we kind of establish a goal, uh, it's something that we're aiming towards, that we're really likely to kind of go down that path, even if kind of the 
original intent or the incentive for us to kind of reach that goal maybe passes away. So as kind of a real world example, let's say I have told all my friends I'm getting a new car and I'm going to get a very particular car. I'm going to get a new, let's Aston. say, Aston Martin Vanquish. Yes. Because that looks good. <laughs> um, so, I, you know, I've kind of built up this commitment and this goal of mine and you know, I've researched it. I saved my pennies. I've gone to the dealership and I've really hackled them down. And I feel like I've got them at a good price. You know, I'm get. I've already. I already see myself with my legit sunglasses on. The just looking good in my car. I'm not gonna roll with any tint because I want to make sure people <laughs> see me. Windows down in all this the car. Time. Yes. Um, you know, but I've already kind of bought the car in my mind you know i've already become a customer in my mind and a very common tactic that will happen when if for those who haven't really walked through a i don't know who hasn't but gone through a car buying experience at a dealership you know common tactic is that they will kind of mysteriously come up with these extra charges that they forgot about or you know my my manager's making me do this and a lot of times, you know, I have already kind of committed. I see myself in this car. I've already probably posted this to Facebook and Twitter. This is my brand new car because I started the paperwork. And so these small um, kind of hurdles that stand in the way of my original decision don't really matter that much because I've, I've kind of already set my commitment and I want to be consistent to my goal and arriving there because I've already kind of set the expectation, I already see myself at the end goal. Um, so these hurdles really don't matter. So I think what Cialdini is really getting at here is <clears throat> once we've kind of already set these goals uh, and really committed to something as a brand or as a decision, as a purchaser, um, that sometimes we follow through with that even when, again, things come up that maybe aren't intended um, or even that original incentive that was there maybe might wane. We want to we want to appear to be consistent to our peers. Right. I think that's a good example in the real world. I mean, that is you know a more direct way of looking at it. I think when you apply it to the online world, though, maybe the one of the closest examples, and maybe you can think of a better one, is you know when you get into a cart process and the you know you've already decided I'm buying this. You get right. to the last page and then oh no, shipping's like sure outrageous right. you know and right. then there's all these other little add-ons you could add to get mm -hmm. it faster or sure. you like, get uh -huh, tracking okay, five or, more dollars not a know, big deal yeah so that's how they sort of get you right. you know because you've already made that commitment mm -hmm. um to obviously their brand and their website and the product specific product so now they've got you and now they can get you with those little upsells and get a little bit more money out of you yeah i think also a kind of a takeaway as well is and Sheldon doesn't really talk about that and and how we're using it in this context is maybe to be weary of the shock of um hurdles that we might be throwing in that process so if we are manipulating price whether that might be shipping or add-on products or things like that I think there there is a point to where you can kind of break the chain that we as humans um, look to be consistent and, and strive to our goals. But I think there is kind of a breaking point uh, to where we can essentially shock our target market out of that, whether that is if we're looking to gain people's uh, information, maybe we're asking too much for what we've given or in an e-commerce situation, you know, we're, we're really kind of shocking them too much with our shipping prices or what it, whatever it might be. 
I think there is kind of a point to where you essentially shake people out of that uh, tunnel vision to right. getting to their goal. So you need to be mindful of that. But I and I think that just means that sometimes we need to be a little bit more. Uh, just be weary of of how um, just jarring some of our processes can yeah. be. And I think a, a good example of that sometimes can be that when we've kind of committed to buying something, um, using an e-commerce example, sometimes checkout funnels can be very jarring in the amount of information and kind of fields that we're presenting to people. And I feel like a very um, common... Uh, thought and especially in our field is get the process as small as possible like as as small as steps is ideal one cart or one page checkout that's ideal or you know one page to collect someone's information for a webinar or things like that and really in testing i've found that that's not really necessarily the case um i feel like it's more sometimes breaking things in manageable chunks and i think that that also kind of ties into this principle as well as you know, dealers in our example of buying a car have found the formula of, you know, nibbling away at you with these yeah. small charges kind of still helps you uh, connect with that goal and that commitment that you've set and being consistent. But it's also not too jarring to where it's enough to kind of shake you out of, of that action. I think that we need to also watch that when we're looking at things that we do online as yeah. well. I think a simple example of this is, I mean, I think all marketers use this, whether they know it or not, but a simple one is, let's say you're in a competitive market and you're not the low cost leader. Mm -hmm. So you're trying to buy paper, paid search ads. You're not going to lead with your price, right? You're going to get them to click first. Okay. Mm -hmm. So there's the first step of the commitment. So now they're reading your landing page and they're, they're learning about your product and your story. There's some more commitment there. Mm -hmm. You're building up the commitment before you hit them with that price. That's three times more than everyone else. <laughs> right. You know, so you, you've built commitment and they feel almost sort of sold on the product already. And now the price doesn't matter as much. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you led with that price in your PPC ad, I mean, they just wouldn't have clicked it. Because... Right. You don't get the opportunity to kind of explain yourself. Yeah, exactly. You don't get to build that commitment in their mind. Right. Yeah. And I think that's a, that's a good way to probably wrap up. Um, and just kind of understanding how we as individuals kind of try to stay consistent, uh, to our commitments and, and really how to kind of treat that process most efficiently with what we're doing online. I think that was a good example. Um, so I thought you had a good, study to kind of talk about with okay so just to preface this there's a lot of studies we like to hate on because yeah. people conduct some terrible studies and just again as people that do marketing online or just run online businesses please take infographics and research and surveys with a grain of salt like really pay attention to how they're collecting this information if they even even tell you um because i think when we do there would be some studies in, that just wouldn't be up to par to what right. we would consider a standard. But well, I think you it, have a, an interesting study. Yeah, isn't there some about. sort of saying out there that's like statistics can be used to prove anything? You know, I think you it's can like twist. 98% of statistics are bullshit. <laughs> well, there's something <laughs> like that too. But, <laughs> you know, you can, you can take a study and twist it around to sort of say whatever it is you, right. you know, really want to say. Well, I think a lot of people start out with studies with the goal in mind. So right. let me try to shoehorn my data Let's or segment data it to prove to, it. Right, exactly. All right. So in this specific example, what we're talking about here is an article Nielsen Group wrote um, where they talk about a few, a couple of studies they've done and also some eye tracking uh, research they've done. 
and their conclusion was basically um, centered around using facts in your marketing language. I'm guessing on landing pages. They don't really get off too specific. But using um, facts, figures, numbers specifically in your marketing messages instead of just um, wordy, and, and I quote from them, blah, blah, blah on the web. So Very professional. Yes. They, they claim that straight talk stands out. So, so let's look at a couple of the studies that they did more in depth and really find out sort of how they came to this conclusion. I think that that's where we'll find maybe their, their research doesn't, doesn't back up their conclusion. So they ran two studies. The first study was they tested journalists um, who were looking for information, I'm guessing, for to write, art, well, to write articles. Sure. So in this case, obviously, there journalists... There journalists today, I think. <laughs> <laughs> bloggers now. So bloggers. let's change it. Okay. Bloggers were looking... Um, so in this case, obviously, journalists look for facts and figures. They can't right. report on fluff. As I mean, much as they try, but as, yes, you're correct. Right. Well, they at least take one figure and then write a ton of fluff around it. But they need right. those figures to begin with. Right. So but th- that's what they're looking for. To those me, are yes. What the are right. So that's for. a very specific segment. And I wouldn't you know, use that in terms of you know, the conclusion they try to draw from right. that study. So the second study they did, again, sort of similar. They're using people who were looking at investor relation pages on corporate websites. So these are people looking for um, revenue figures, right. profit percentages, numbers. stock shares. Yeah, numbers, <laughs> numbers again. So the two studies they've used to prove their point mm-hmm. both involve people who would obviously specifically be looking for numbers. Right. So not only to me does that sort of invalidate their studies, Mm -hmm. they go further on to then use eye-tracking studies to, quote, eye-tracking research shows that users' eyes are attracted by numbers and web content. Why? Because numbers usually represent facts. (laughs) That is their quote. However, so there's a few different ways you could look at this. I just want to be clear up front, though, that I do think that numbers and a lot of you know, ad copy headlines. These are great things to use. Right. We are going to poo-poo on this survey, but I think right. that there are some takeaways from it. And I, I agree with you. I think for the most part, the good thing about numbers is they're quantifiable by nature. Right. So when we are scanning something or really kind of disseminating or absorbing information, numbers is a way to help us understand priorities, amount, um, and th- things of that nature, whereas sometimes that gets lost in copy, but also stands out. But I-, I think that's a totally different subject. But like you said, I mean, numbers do stand out just in general and do sometimes kind of quantify as facts. But I think also it just helps us sometimes relate to understanding the scope of what we're reading or what they're trying to convey in that. Right. Sense. So, okay. So before I sort of finish my rant on this little eye tracking study, um, I think you're right in terms of, at least for marketing, uh, you know, the actions that we typically want customers to take on web pages usually involve numbers in some way. So mm-hmm. they're looking for stats, numbers, prices, shipping rates, uh, right. figures, how big is it, you know, mm-hmm. what, you know, all sorts of very, very relevant things. But, X. but for a lot of other people who are just in general browsing the web and maybe just reading content, mm-hmm. numbers maybe don't matter at all. Sure. Um, so anyway, so back to this study. Again, their quote was, eye-tracking research shows that users' eyes are attracted by numbers and web content. Why? Because numbers usually represent facts. I would say that maybe if you have a wall of text and there's a few numbers in it, yes, <laughs> they those stand numbers out. stand out, so they right. will attract my eyes. Right. 
So like Cunt. a line of yellow cars and then one pink one. <laughs> right, exactly. We could, drawn we could do that. any sort of variation on this experiment. Let's get a wall of numbers mm-hmm. and put a few letters in it. And now I'm going to say that no, words only matter. Never have numbers in your copy. Right. I mean, to me, that's a completely irrelevant conclusion to draw from that test. Right, in that context, yeah. Yes. Not to mention, that I don't. they don't give any, there's context in terms of, okay, what kind of page are we looking at? Who are these people? Mm-hmm. Um, what was their thought process? I mean, so there's so many things that can go into this and there's so many situations where none of this would matter. Right. I guess is the point back to sort of what, how you started this segment out is, you know, take studies and research with a grain of salt because oftentimes they draw conclusions that they want everyone to tweet out to everyone they know mm-hmm. and email to everyone and get, which speaking of which <laughs> feel free to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, iTunes, we love a review at this point. Yeah. Uh, we've got a lot of listeners, not too many reviews. So we'd I, like to- you know, I actually wanted to have a little segment here where I talked about where some of our listeners are from. We have some interesting locations. I'll have to pull a full report, but all over the world, Corey, all, all right. over the world. we got tons of users in the UK, Australia, Saudi Arabia. Wow. All over the planet. Man. So... Anyway, go so ahead I, and send me over some of those crazy cars from over in Saudi Arabia. We have I a Prince a, listening. I want a gold-plated Ferrari. <laughs> but anyway, it's kind of uh, getting. But seriously, follow us on Twitter or Facebook or iTunes. But we're, anyways, we're on all the things that matter. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like you were saying, I, I mean, I think there's a lot to draw out of this that kind of mm, makes me kind of question the study. But I think at the end of the day, though, a good takeaway that that I that I do like from this is to potentially diversify your copy. I mean, when you just have a wall of text, when you are trying to communicate, um, whether it be a product or kind of a process that you want people to follow or it's content. I mean, I think you, there is some variety that needs to, to happen in that content to kind of help break things up and attention. I think, I feel like as the internet, has evolved and we've all come accustomed to it that each and every one of us has a level of ADHD. And I feel like that we have to craft our content and our site experiences to wrap in some variation in there um, to kind of break up the monotony and not bore users too much. Um, But I also think that much like we talked about that numbers sometimes represent facts. Going back to our point about quantification, I think that it that numbers sometimes help us understand and relate better to copy, um, but also kind of understand the point that we're trying to communicate. Now, whether people value that, yes or no, there's a lot that goes into that. Like, number one, who's saying that? Right. Is a, is a big deal about that, how it looks. I mean, there's, there's a lot that wraps up into that. I think that naturally people are drawn to... Um, having someone else kind of endorse or say facts about your products because that puts a level of trust or or onus on someone else's kind of endorse it because we i feel like as most humans are risk adverse so having quantifiable facts testimonials things like that testimonials i don't know if that's a real word my word bearded marketers (laughs) testimonials hashtag testimonials um (laughs) that we feel like we've kind of uh, railroaded uh, away from some risk at, at some point. So I think numbers can be used effectively. I think Nielsen maybe needs to rethink how they do their studies uh, to be a little bit more complete um, 
and a little bit more it, at uh, least solid. in the conclusions sure. draw. Um, one last well, thing. Well, and your sampling is a little yeah. One last thing before I think we need to get off on to the next topic. Um, I think a lot of this also may depend on personality types. Sure. You know, I know that certain people, you know, me, for example, I really, really heavily scan web pages and I just want to know the facts. Like mm-hmm. when I'm talking to a sales guy for, about a car, which I'm always test driving cars, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I want to know the facts. Like, don't tell me about, you know, the story about your family. Cause honestly, I just want to know the facts about the car. Right. Like, don't, don't give me all the back history about, you know, what I, I don't want to name some cars I drive. <laughs> Go ahead, Rob. No, no. Muse us. <laughs> no. You know, I don't want. I don't want to hear all that stuff. I just want to know the facts, like how much horsepower does it have. So understanding uh, your customers, you know, yeah, kind of what you're yeah. getting at. And I think at the same time, though, there are a lot of people who really want to hear that stuff. They want mm-hmm. to hear the story, right? And the numbers, you know, the bottom yeah, line. That I, stuff may be important, but right, they also I've, want that story. I think a good example is I, I once worked with a cosmetic brand that their kind of steez was. We sell, you know, very specific and specialized cosmetics that come from a very particular region or they go through a very particular process, you know, above and beyond, like we don't do any animal testing or things like that. But the, the body butter that you are using comes from a very specific orchard of olives that we use and things like that. And when you kind of set the tone and it kind of indoctrinate your users or customers based on that, um, then that kind of story becomes important. I think one person that does this kind of well in our space is um, Avinash, who is a blogger in the metric space, who, if people haven't checked him out, it's Occam's Razor is his blog name. And he creates these like huge, long blog posts that kind of convey these really long stories to articulate his points. And yes, he mixes in fig facts and figures, and it, at, at the end of the day, he is, does metrics for a living and does metrics consulting and things like that. But it's really the the wording, the copy, the story that he tells, and helping you put your um, uh, helping you kind of place yourself in the story that that really sells. So I, I completely agree with you. Like understanding your customer, what their needs are, uh, really is probably more important than cut or dry our numbers more important than words so so kind of moving along designing for your audience so last week was it last week or the week before one of those weeks we were talking about one of the things i hate in our space is people that say that ugly converts better than pretty and we we talked about that quite extensively and so i was sitting there i don't know remember what i was watching um but I saw this commercial come on. It's for, is it Farmers Only? I believe yeah. is the site. Okay, I think so, so. I hope so. Right. Uh, it's this d- dating site for people that work on farms is their demographic. And Rural we, folk. Right. And we will try and find a YouTube copy of this, this commercial. But I'm sitting here and watching it. And it is terrible looking. I mean, it looks... Like, I could have made this in high school TV production in 2000. I mean, it is really, really bad. Um, And even the web, just, so the whole commercial is just poorly done. But the website looks terrible as well. I mean, it's, it's less terrible than I was actually expecting giving the commercial, but it's still really bad. So I was sitting there, you know, 
immediately my negative Nancy hat goes on. I'm like, these people are straight embarrassed. How do they run a site? And, you know, I just kind of went, went through my own rant in my head. And then I kind of stopped myself and was like, you know, I bet that that actually really works well for their demographic. And the takeaway that I kind of, you know, instilled in myself was, you know, when we are designing processes and usability, that's in big air quotes, uh, of websites that we might be generating or uh, really any sort of kind of content or process that we're getting people into, understanding who's going to be using this and, and what are they kind of expecting, what are their kind of fears, um, and what is kind of their level of technical like know-how. You know, so if I'm building a dating site catering to people that are on farms, I think it's very uh, probably a jerk thing to kind of assume that those people are like backwoods, overall, hay-chewing people. Mm. Maybe it's not too far-fetched, <laughs> but, you know, I think it's probably a safe assumption that most of the people on farms are busy doing other things than probably spending time in front of a computer. So they might not be the most savvy user. They have other duties. I mean, waking at the crack of dawn and running a farm is really hard work. Yeah. I mean, they, they probably just don't have that much time to fiddle around on the computer. Anyways, so I was thinking to myself, my first gut reaction was, you know, if, if I was a consultant running this and I were to see that commercial, I would be like, that's terrible. Like, I can't believe you're representing your brand like that. We're not going to get any users into this site. But taking a step back, you know, if I'm trying to attract a crowd that maybe isn't the most tech savvy, having a really ornate looking or very fly looking site with a bunch of jQuery effects or fade-ins and things like that might be just really overwhelming for them. I mean, they're, they, for all intents and purposes, might be still on AOL because they feel like that that's the internet. Uh, that's what they know to be the internet. Um, and they're kind of used to that experience and having something that is maybe more clean or professional looking in my eyes or um, maybe more web 3.0 doesn't they won't they won't convert on it because it's just too overwhelming or they just don't even know where to start and this ugly you know 1995 style website as busted as it looks works well for them and their demographic yeah, I think that's a good point. Um, I just actually pull up their website and it seems like all their internal pages, uh, do look pretty bad. Um, the logo <laughs> looks pretty bad. Right. Uh, terrible background image. But interestingly enough, if you just go to farmersonly.com, they have a very modern looking home landing page that mm -hmm. looks, you know, with Is the Is that with the collage of... of um, no, that's not the one I'm seeing Maybe right I'm now. Maybe I'm thinking of the testimonials. Or the one I'm like seeing that. right now is very oh, singles yeah, net. Yeah, I didn't see you that know, one. You eHarmony kind of thing. Much better than the one I saw. So, you know, I don't know if they're, obviously they're probably just testing this or if they've decided that, you know, the other type of landing page didn't work well, so they're going to go with this new version. But definitely the interior of their site does look... The mobile version is interesting. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's the version I saw. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I don't know. So there's a few different, you know, I don't know how, you know, what kind of conclusion you can draw from their homepage versus everything else because their homepage obviously does not look the same branding campaign mm -hmm. as both their commercial and the inside pages of the website. But I think furthermore, too, like, I think maybe, you know, you were talking a lot to sort of farmers and maybe how they interact, but I don't know that this is necessarily just aimed towards farmers in quotes. I think maybe... I feel like there's been a trend recently towards 
uh, you know, country music and proud of America. farmers and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Right. So, Being a patriot. you know, it might just be people who pretend to be farmers, you That's know, I, farmers. I have some chickens or something. I don't know. I'm a <laughs> farmer. So we might not be like full on dude who runs a farm. Right. Like legit. <laughs> like I have, I have a... I don't have internet actually, you know, right. kind of farm. So that's just one thing to take into consideration. Yeah, but to, to sort of extrapolate your point out, mm-hmm. I understand your point in terms of, you know, there's other ways you can look at this. Like, let's, old people, um, right. you wouldn't want to design some sort of crazy website with slick right. graphics and slide outs and everything. It just might be completely overwhelming. Right. They're barely used to the internet 10 years ago, and that's mm-hmm. what, you know, they're used to. It doesn't need to be anything more than that. Just keep it simple and plain and, and work. Right. As painful as it might be for me. Right. To design or publish or even market something like that, I think that you have to kind of understand who is the end user and what are they accustomed to. And sometimes, you know, even from a pride standpoint, we think, well, we can come up with something better or they'll just like learn. Like we're so good at what we do that that we'll kind of just teach them along. Maybe we'll give them some tool tips or We'll have some pop-ups that kind of explain things. But I, I just, I think at a certain point, you kind of have to relinquish and say, you know, this is who we're dealing with. This is what works well for them. And kind of begrudgingly kind of go down that path, even though we might feel like that's old, antiquated. Right. Um, and something that needs to die, you know, maybe for who you're trying to target, it works well and you have to be okay with that. So kind of moving on. Um, last topic that we were going to talk about, ooh, avoiding the customer like down. I feel like we, a lot of people do this both knowingly, but also unknowingly. And I think we're going to talk about a story where potentially a brand is doing this unknowingly. So I was looking through my emails the other day and I got an email that came through from screen.com. And as a shout out to screened, they, uh, we partnered with them and got some bearded marketers t-shirts done. They came out fantastic. All our limited edition run. <laughs> American Apparel 502525 t-shirts. If you haven't worn those, you should. Your chest will thank you because they are so comfy. <laughs> but anyway, so screenshot me an email talking about some summer t-shirts that I should check out. Now, there was a particular T-shirt that they used in their email that caught my eye because it was quite humorous. So I click through said email, and I'm taken to a page that has a ton of T-shirts all over it. Lo and behold, I feel like I'm looking for Waldo on this, on this page, trying to find this shirt that I thought was pretty funny. I might get my wife or myself. I cannot find this damn shirt anywhere on the page. <laughs> and... And mind you, the email that I click through has probably four shirts total on it. So it's not like this was a collage of different of um, T-shirts on this email. They just didn't happen to have it on this page. It was like a main focal point of the email. Nowhere to be found right. on this landing page that they just sent me to. And in fact, the email was broken up into three click zones. I clicked on the very specific click zone that actually only had this one T-shirt in it. So... Wow. That's the sole focus of this click area. I can't find the t-shirt that's in your picture. I mean, how terrible is that? And, you know, I was sitting there befuddled. I did search and end up finding the t-shirt, but I wouldn't, uh. buy, it. <laughs> I wouldn't buy it on principle because you made it so damn difficult. But, you know, as funny as that story is, 
I feel like companies do this all the time. You know, even as simple as, you know, I'm I'm searching for something online. I look at a PPC ad uh, and I click through based on the headline or something in the ad copy. I get to the landing page. There's nothing that is relevant or connects at all with the ad that I just clicked through. Yeah. That has anything to do uh, with what motivated me to get to that to that page in general. So I'm out of there. I mean, it has nothing. You kind of sold me on something before, like Screen did. They sold me on this really sweet shirt, and they sent me to a page where that wasn't present. And, you know, I think that that happens all the time. And businesses sometimes doing doing it willingly, whether it's, you know, we kind of do the bait and switch tactic where we get you in on a small price or something like that. And you, you can't find it because it's hidden. Um, or we sell you on delivering you a webinar or something like that. And it's, you know, so many steps to try to kind of go and find that. Um, but I think that there's some of us that kind of unwillingly uh, kind of do this bait and switch or kind of let our customers down when they come in because... I think one, we don't really audit our processes. We don't kind of put ourselves in the mind of users. And, you know, when we put a image or a graphic or a headline or an ad out there, what kind of expectations are we setting and where, where are we sending people? And, yeah. and what's the connection point? Well, I think this, this actually kind of touches close to, I think what we talked about, and this was maybe last week or the week before. Again, we can't keep track of these things. <laughs> uh, we were sort of talking about, um, this is actually maybe a while ago. We're talking about coupon codes that have so many stipulations. Oh, yeah. So it's like you, you almost think like the marketing department thinks they're being slick by sending you a 40% off coupon. And yeah, man, you get me to open that and I go over to the site. Then I try to buy something and it doesn't work. Right. Now I'm pissed and I'm right. leaving. Way to go. And Thanks yeah, a lot. You haven't pulled anything slick but mm-hmm. pissed me off. Right. And, and now I'm going to go put it on Facebook and say, don't buy from J. Crew. They don't yeah, well, redeem their coupons. Except J. Crew never has coupons. <laughs> That's not, that wasn't them. But... Um, Another example I actually ran into recently, and this is maybe a little bit different, but um, I was working with someone, they were looking at buying a new car, and Volkswagen's running that new sign and drive event. This mm-hmm. was in May. It was ending at the end of May, May 31st, which happened to be a Friday, and we were actually looking at cars. I think it was like Tuesday or something. So mm-hmm. it wasn't much time to make a decision. The salesman, as car salesmen do, were really pushing, you know, sale ends is a really great sale. I mean, if you look at the fine print, it's actually not much of a sale, except mm-hmm. you just don't have to put money down. They just finance it for you. Right. So you don't really save any money. You actually, I think, Surprise. You, I mean, you end up paying more, I think, mm-hmm. actually, if you think about it in the long run. Um, you know, so, you know, we were thinking about it, really thinking about it. And then we sort of decided, you know, let's let's not do this now. Like, we'll wait a little bit longer. Sales guys are freaking out calling us Friday. Just, I think they actually called from like six different phone numbers trying to get trying to get us to pick up. <laughs> you know, doing all these crazy tactics. Uh-huh. You know, so we let the day roll through. We don't get back in touch with them. June June first, the next day. You know, I'm sitting mm-hmm. there watching TV, which the sign then drive event was only supposed to be May. Right. I'm watching TV. You know, sign then drive, and I'm thinking I'm watching the sign then drive event. You know, commercial. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking, you know, this is old. Why are right. they running this old yeah, commercial? They need to. Some money. They need to get on their game with <laughs> this. Right. And then at the bottom, you know, ends whatever the end of June was. And I was like, you sons of bitches. <laughs> Got so, so in that example, the customer letdown would have been, had I bought the car right. in May, man, I would have been upset because right. you guys you forced, forced my hand. You pressured me into it. You basically lied to me. Right. Because the I'll sale was you. extended. And, you, and they would have known that, obviously. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. So 
I, I feel like you're right. There are companies that do these sorts of things all the time, almost like they feel like they're being slick. And at least in your example, screened, mm-hmm. I, I don't know that they did that on purpose. It was just poor. I hope design. not. <laughs> poor email design. But there are plenty of companies who do things like that on purpose. Sure. You know, like... Uh, but I think that a lot... Also, kind of go back to my point, a lot of people do it, like, unknowingly. Yeah. You know, they... Either because they come up with a lot of generic stuff, or they just don't really think through the whole process of what people are actually going to be doing. They don't manage expectations well. And so when they think about... When I'm sitting there as as a screen person, man, this email is just not really working well. Well, maybe I'm getting people to click through and interact with it, but you kind of set this expectation with this email yeah. that you're not even following through with on my initial experience of what's driving me to even arrive here in the beginning. Um, so let's as marketers kind of look at what we're communicating to people and how we continue that conversation when people come in uh, to our different processes, whether that is getting them to buy something, whether that is just to digest our blog, whether that is just to give us some information so we can follow up with them with like a webinar or get lead information, uh, or even like coming up with things simple like YouTube titles and things like that. Um, and are we actually delivering that content in our videos? Or are we kind of doing the bait and switch and things like that? So I think that's a good stopping place for this week. Again, we would highly encourage you guys to follow us on our social networks, Facebook, Twitter. I think we're on LinkedIn. We're on Stitcher now. We yeah, got approved we in. So if you like using their uh, podcast app, feel free to check them out. Uh, we're on there. iTunes, we'd love a subscribe and a rating. We highly appreciate yeah. it. Also, if you find our content valuable, I'm going to ask you two things. One, tell a friend. That is important. <laughs> Spread the love. Number two... Give us a call, 904-270-9603. Call or text us or drop us a line on the website and tell us what you would like us to cover. What are some areas that that you really have a um, an issue with kind of wrapping your head around, whether that is PPC, whether that's remarketing, whether that is handling offline sales tied in with online. Uh, there's a lot of experience between Rob and I and also some guests that we're going to be having uh, upcoming on the show. Uh, and we want to get some feedback from our listeners to see what you are struggling with so we can kind of help you out on. So until next week, everyone have a great week. This has been the Beard Marketers, Robin Corey again with you this week, and we will see you again in the next episode.